Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You know what? There's very adult content ahead and you have been warned. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. As always, I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the weird, wonderful, unexplained, eerie, scary, and downright unbelievable. There will be tales of ghosts, murder, supernatural beings, and unexplained mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, Relax and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's dark enigma, well, we have Satanists, mysterious disappearances, and even conspiracy theories, my darlings. And tonight's episode is going to be just a little bit like me, short but sweet. So with that said, let's get straight to it, my darlings. As always, we will still be playing our drinking game, and as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation is always yours, so choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. Alright, how about every time I say Kansas, that's going to be a single shot. And no, it's not the song or the band, although they are a cool band. Carry on my way. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Kansas, that's a single shot. And every time I say Satanist, that's going to be a double shot. All right. Now that we've got the business end out of the way, we can jump head first into today's dark enigma and the curious and unsolved vanishing of Randy Leach. On April 15th, 1988, high school senior Randy Wayne Leach borrowed his mother's car and headed out at around 6.45 p.m. to go and attend a pre-graduation bonfire party at a friend's rural farmhouse about five miles away from their home in Linwood in Leavenworth County, Kansas. By all accounts, Randy was a smart healthy and reasonably easygoing guy going out to spend some time with some friends. It wasn't really late and the area was pretty peaceful and safe, a small town where everybody knew each other. So when his parents saw him off, they really didn't have any idea that this was going to be the last time they would ever see him again. Randy got into that car to head to his friend's party and there, were n- there was no way of knowing that he was about to become one of the country's most perplexing mysteries, a vanishing saturated with strangeness, mysterious people, weird clues, and satanic cults. What is known is that Randy went to a convenience store in Linwood to get food and gas, before visiting a cousin and then heading to DeSoto to a body shop to ogle the 1966 Mustang that was being restored and would be his high school graduation present. Perhaps because of these diversions, Randy would not actually get to the party until sometime between 9.30 and 10 p.m. that evening, where around 50 to 150 guests were in the midst of partying, with a lot of drinking and drug use going on. I'm going to say, if you can't tell the difference between 100 
50 and 150 i'm just gonna say seriously that's a that's a fucking party right okay it is unclear if randy himself had anything to drink as while witnesses would later claim they had not seen him drink anything at all others said he'd been acting strangely stumbling around as if he were drunk and it's not completely understood what time he actually left the party, as no one could actually recall actually seeing him leave. But they believe it was probably after 1 a.m. and definitely well after his curfew of 12.30, which he usually strictly honored. Randy then got into his car and basically drove off the face of the earth. It would not be until his parents woke up the next morning to find him nowhere in the house that anyone really realized that something was actually wrong. Randy had always been a responsible young man who followed the rules and his curfew, so for him to not be in his room that morning was seen as incredibly odd. The parents called some of Randy's friends, but no one had seen him or had any idea where he actually was and they proceeded to call the police. An investigation of the site of the party turned up no actual evidence, as it had already been cleaned up unusually spotlessly, with apparently not even a stray paper cup lying around. And when interviewed, other partygoers were very vague about how long Randy had stayed, or even when he had left no one seemed to remember much about him being there other than he had seemed to be having trouble walking, but a time for his departure just couldn't be pinned down, and no other details were forthcoming. Randy was subsequently reported missing, and this is where the strange things begin to unfold. Authorities and family members released missing person flyers all over the region for Randy and his car, and began an intensive search of the area, including combing the river that flowed through nearby, but they came up with absolutely nothing. Not a single person came forward with any information at first, and police began to suspect that Randy had simply run away. But friends and family were staunchly against this theory. Not only had he been a hard-working student looking forward to life after high school, but he had also left behind his soon-to-be graduation present, that 1966 Mustang, which had been the car of his dreams. By the way, 1966 Stang, awesome car. Although, I would have gone with the 66 Camaro, but that's just me because I'm a Chevy girl. But the Stang is awesome, too. It was believed by his friends that he would have never willingly given up that car for anything. Same. However, adding to the theory that he had perhaps indeed run away were several sightings that came in of Randy. One on April 19th near his high school and another on April 25th of his mother's missing, missing 1985 gray Dodge 600 driving about erratically down Iowa Street in the town of Lawrence although neither of these sightings could be confirmed. As police continued trying to find out what was going on and the story began to circulate in the news, there were some dark rumors that would begin going around. At the time, the Leavenworth area had been undergoing a bit of a satanic panic. Like, by the way, say that because it's so much fun to say, satanic panic. 
Anyways, with rumors of a devil-worshipping cult operating in the rural area and dark-robed figures spotted lurking about, particularly in the vicinity of the farmland where that fateful party had been held. The rumor was that Randy had been captured and killed in some arcane ritual there in the field by cultists, after which they had completely scoured clean the area to get rid of any evidence. In fact, not long after the vanishing, the farm where the party had been held would burn down to the ground in a mysterious fire, only fueling the ideas of some cult conspiracy, because if it's not aliens, it's Satanists. So strong was the idea that Satanists or some sort of cult was involved in the disappearance that locals pointed police in the direction of a friend of Randy's named Robert Marble, who had also been at the party and was widely regarded as being an eccentric loner and a self-professed Satanist. Marble was questioned by police, with one detective coming to the conclusion that he has read the Satanic Bible but does not believe in the concepts of the occult, and while a knife was found in his car, he was dropped as a suspect. In later years, three other young men suspected of being Satanists would be brought in for questioning, but there was no evidence that they had had anything to do with the disappearance, and they too were released without any charges filed. Another strange lead pertaining to dark satanic cults and arcane rituals came in when a man came to police claiming he had been abducted and kept hostage for two weeks in a cave by cultists not far from Linwood. He told police that while he was there in that dank prison, he had seen the dead body of a young man he believed might have been the missing Randy Leach. However, when authorities searched the cave where the alleged body was supposed to be, they found no trace of it, and indeed no evidence that a cult had ever even been there. Oddly, Randy's father would later claim that the sheriff had had the cave bulldozed and destroyed, although this was denied by authorities. Other odd leads in the case revolve around an acquaintance of Randy's by the name of Steve Daughtry who had also been at the party and been seen on the morning after suspiciously, suspiciously driving 10 miles an hour on a back road that had a 55 mile an hour speed limit. Yeah, I'm going to say that's pretty suspicious because normally it's 55 on a 10 mile an hour speed limit. Um, so yeah, that's pretty damn suspicious, somebody driving slow. I don't buy that at all. Rather strangely, this same man would claim that he had found a dismembered foot on the banks of the Kansas River in March of 1989. But when people I'm sorry, when police searched the area, there was no foot, and wherever wherever it went, it was thought to not have belonged to the missing man. How they came to this conclusion is well, anybody's guess. You know, they pulled it out their ass is what I'm thinking. But the potential tip was widely just shrugged off. Daughtry remained a potential person of interest right up until his death, when he took any secrets he had had with him to his grave. In the end, none of these odd leads and tips have led anywhere in the investigation, and there have been no new ones to follow. In the meantime, Randy's parents have complained that over the years, police have botched the investigation numerous times. One example is that they failed to thoroughly search some of the area's creeks until far too much time had passed. 
There was also the fact that they didn't seem interested in following up on some of the leads they had as deeply as they should have. One of the worst cases of them dropping the ball was when they arrested a suspect named Eric Montgomery in the 1990s. Montgomery had been a suspect in two homicides just a few miles from the Leach residence, and he would admit that he and an accomplice had hidden the bodies in barrels that he had tossed into the Missouri River. The suspect would die in prison with no evidence that he had had anything to do with the Leach case. What makes it even stranger is that police never told the Leaches that they had a suspect in custody, and the records of Montgomery's information have been sealed in court, hidden away from public access by authorities who have refused to release them. Indeed, authorities have been continually accused by the Leaches of generally failing to update the family on new developments over the decades. This lack of police cooperation in the disappearance of their son has forced the Leaches to go to private investigators on their own dime and do their own research. But this has met with even more bizarreness. A bit spookily, one of the investigators would soon after taking the case be found dead with his wife, both of them shot to death, and with the police deeming it a murder-suicide. Okay, that's a little bit spooky. I'm going to, I'm yeah, totally spooks. Another investigator who helped the family along with the help of Leavenworth County Sheriff's Detective Don Weston helped to bring in three men for questioning in the case, all of whom were released soon after, after which both men mysteriously quit the case to leave the state after making cryptic statements that they feared for their safety. Why should that be? Were they threatened by someone or scared off by something that they found? Seriously, what the hell is going on here? Unfortunately, the case of the vanishing of Randy Leach remains completely unsolved, even over three decades later. There have been no new leads, no new suspects, no additional evidence, and although it is occasionally revisited by authorities, it has largely been swept under the carpet and forgotten. Randy Leach was officially declared dead in 2001, but he's never been found, and his family has continued over the years to investigate what has happened with very little success. So, was the local law enforcement in on this? Yeah, I don't buy that. What role did those Satanists have to play in it all, if any? And what happened to those investigators? Why were they so threatened? And why would anyone want to cover it all up? Was this just some freaky little town embroiled in some really weird freaky stuff that they just didn't want anyone to snoop in, into it? And if so... Why Randy Leach? I mean, he was a kid. He just graduated high school. Well, whatever happened to him, the Grimm case has gone on to become mired in a morass of weird mysteries, conspiracies, cover-ups, and just fucking weirdness that we will likely never be able to get through. And I'm sorry to say, we'll probably never know what happened to Randy Leach. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of the episode, and I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and tell me what you think about what happened to Randy. 
You can always reach the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And you know what? If you have a suggestion for a future show or you just want to tell me what you think, drop me a line because I do reply to all emails. On that note, that's all the time that I have for you tonight. I do thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. I love you much. See you, my heathens. Have a great week. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.